Real quick, I got to tell a quick story. First year I coached down here at Palm Beach Grounds High School, I was the head JV coach. That was my first assignment. Then the next year they moved me to varsity head coach. Had this little JV team. They never won. The varsity never had a winning season. We are going to play Suncoast High School. The year before, they beat us 63 to nothing. So I put a big sign up on a, on a, on a bed sheet. I wrote Suncoast High School in green letters. That was their, their colors. 63 in Palm Beach Gardens. And our little blue and orange colors, zero. Had it hanging up in the locker room all week. Had a plan right before the game on Thursday night. I was going to grab the sheet off the wall and rip it in shreds. Then we're going to go out there and rip Suncoast to shreds. I had the coaches go out and actually cut some of the edges of the sheet so I could tear it easy. But when I get in my excitement, I grab the sheet off. The moment said, we're going to tear them in shreds. I jump up and grab the sheet off, off the, uh, the chalkboard, go down. I fold it over the edges of the sheet and I start to tear it. And now I'm young and strong. I could not tear it. I then decided to try to bite in the edge and get a tear. When I did, remember high school, I got my four front teeth knocked out. I had a partial plate bridge that was not wired in. When I bit down on the sheet, my teeth came out. Now, you're a team watching the coach can't even tear the sheet and his teeth just falling out. You're talking about the worst pregame fire up speech in the history of football. That was it. And I don't know what to do. And the team sitting there stunned. And then out of the back came this third string player running forward, grabs the sheet. His name was Mark Cristaldi. He grabs the sheet and bites it like a dog and starts ripping and tearing it and he tore it. And when he tore it up, he just kept tearing it up and tearing it up. Next thing I know, the whole team dives in on the sheep. They're tearing it up, tearing it up, tearing it up. And they all went running out to the field. I'm just trying to get my teeth back in. We went out and played that game. In fact, I grabbed the player one time to put him in the play. And he said, I can't go in close to the white. And he said, I don't have a piece of the thing. I said, what do you mean talking about the thing? He said, you know, a piece of the thing. And I look over to another player standing there. He's got a piece of the sheet tied to his face mask. I jerked it off. Game. He said, you got a piece of the thing. He went in. Do you know, we blew Suncoast up. We tore them up. Tore them up. Went on that season undefeated. Once they got the taste of victory, They don't want defeat anymore. Welcome to this new episode of the Live Lead Last podcast. We are Lisa and James Duvall, and we're glad that you're listening and supporting the show. We're so thankful for you downloading each new episode and listening to us. We hope that you're finding value each week from the guests and conversations that are taking place, and we want each episode to encourage and inspire you to live your best life. Okay, James, this week we have Dr. Tom Mullins, the founding pastor of our church, Christ Fellowship. As you've heard from the opening story, Tom, or coach, as 
he is affectionately called, is an amazing storyteller. But his storytelling is rooted in his exceptional leadership and influence. You're going to love learning from Coach today. There really are so many good leadership and life lessons that Coach shares during our conversation. We want you to know that we're also working on a new episode where we'll unpack learnings around the Enneagram. It will be a high-level look at the tool, but we're going to get into some of the layers of the Enneagram as well, including subtypes, lines of integration, and a little around tri-types. Lisa, you're an Enneagram certified coach, so I think I'll be interviewing you to hear your insights around the tool. It's going to be a lot of fun. James, I'm so excited about that. We would love to give you, the listeners, an opportunity to have your questions about Enneagram answered. So if you have a question that you would like us to answer, direct message us on Instagram at Live Lead Last Podcast, or send us a message on Facebook at Live Lead Last Podcast. We'll make sure to address your question during the show. And we will be launching a huge giveaway during that episode. Yeah, it's very cool. Well, I want to jump into the conversation I had with Coach Tom Mullins. Pastor Tom had a very successful career as a football coach at both the high school and collegiate levels before stepping into full-time ministry and planning Christ Fellowship Church, which is now one of the largest churches in the United States with 13 locations across South Florida. He is also the co-founder of Place of Hope, a residential community of homes for neglected and abused children in Palm Beach County, Florida, and Place of Hope International, which places children's homes around the world. He has also written three books, including The Leadership Game, The Confidence Factor, and Passing the Leadership Baton. He is passionate about using his influence to be a life coach and an encouragement to others. Okay, James, that may have been the longest bio of anyone on the podcast thus far because he's such a legend and he is amazing. That's true. You may want to grab something to take notes. There are so many great leadership insights that he shares in our conversation. I know I was inspired and I believe this will inspire you as well. Coach, it's so great to have you on the podcast. I've really been looking forward to this conversation. You've impacted my life so much. So this is such an honor to actually have you as a guest. Hey, it's great to be with you and Lisa today. And it's always great to support another Ohio State big fan like you are. OH, baby. That's right. You know, one of the main hopes of this podcast is to inspire listeners to live their life in a way that leaves a legacy that they want for the future. I always have appreciation for people like yourself who honor the people in their past in their life who have created the platform for your leadership. And I know that you talk many times about the legacy of leadership in your life. So could you share a a little bit of your heritage of leadership that's impacted you and the legacy that you're living out today? I've been very blessed. I I look back at the influence of my grandfather, especially, and his father, my great-grandfather, who made a a critical decision in their life that they were going to not only serve God with all their heart, but they were going to serve people and add value and always try to enrich the lives of those around them. And so I was blessed to grow up in that environment, and that really motivated me. I think about the two chief areas of influence in my life would be obviously my grandfather, and he was also my pastor, and he just loved people, loved God, and was always enriching lives, always affirming people. I never, ever heard my grandfather, James, ever criticize anyone. I, I thought back about that and said, wow, he always had a word of affirmation for people. I think that's what made him so attractive to other people. They were drawn to him and loved him. And then, of course, the second area of influence in my life were my coaches, my football coaches, you know, down to the little league peewee football I played in, in Southern Ohio, just North Cincinnati, to my high school coaches, to my college coaches. They've had profound impact upon my life. That's amazing. And, you know, obviously you've lived out that legacy because I would say in the 25 years that I've known you, I don't think I've ever heard you say anything mean about people. You're, you're always affirming, you're always lifting up, you're always encouraging. And so to see that lived out, and obviously football has been a 
big part of who you are. I love hearing football stories. And we're going to talk a little bit about that later. But you had a big transition in your leadership. You were a very successful college and high school football coach. I think I heard somebody say to me one time that any team that you touched, they became winners. You had a transition actually in your life, the transition out of coaching into a new world and ended up yeah. being the pastor. What was that like? It was really kind of amazing. I, I think from the time I've been a young boy, there's there's been this sense of call of God uh, on our life. And I remember my grandfather speaking over me many times said, he called me Tommy. He said, Tommy, God's got his hand on you. And one day you're going to clearly know what his will and, and purposes are for you. Well, I gravitated to sports because that's where I excelled. I mean, you know, I excelled at recess, not in the classroom, but at recess. You know, I always excelled there. I used to always laughingly say, you know, when it came to spelling bees and we had those back in, uh, you know, grade school, I was the last one picked. But baby, at recess, I was the first one picked. So you kind of know your calling, you know what I mean? But, but after I played high school ball, got a college scholarship, played college ball, I went into coaching as a grad assistant, and then I, I just made that transition in coaching and loved it. And then I think you naturally gravitate towards areas that you have early success in. And I had early success in coaching. And so I, I loved it and was there for like 15 years. Then I was a college athletic director. I'm about now 38 years old and having that, that big question mark inside, what is that next step? What is that thing that God really has for me? And I went to Israel for the first time in 1983 with my precious wife, Donna, and both of our kids, Todd and Noel. We had an experience over there and I had quite an encounter with God over there. And the interesting thing is I got back from that and I'm, I'm really starting to really question what's that next step in my life. And I just finished playing tennis with Jack Nicholas. A lot of people don't know, but Jack's a phenomenal athlete. You know, he was a, a great high school basketball player, could have had college basketball scholarships. And, and just whatever he picks up, he's a good athlete. Well, he loves tennis. And we played a couple sets of singles one day at his home and we sat down afterwards and and I kind of shared with him where I was in my life, questioning what I, my next step should be. And it's really interesting, James, what he said to me. He said, well, Tommy, it's very obvious to me what you should be doing. You should be following your first love, your first passion, and that's the Lord and that's the church. Wow. I mean, here's Jack Nicholas, one of the greatest golfers of all time. I mean, he, he had better spiritual discernment than I had about at that moment. But that really led then to that decision that we were going to make this significant transition. And I remember going and praying with my precious wife and my family about it and gathering five families around me that we were in our little life group together and asked them to fast and pray with me if this was really God's will. And that's how God started us and led us down that trail to make that transition. That's amazing. And if people know anything about Christ Fellowship, God used you to build a tremendous ministry, tremendous church here in South Florida, and has impacted tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of lives, not just here in South Florida, but around the world. You've created just this legacy of leadership, your influence that's still carrying on today, even though you stepped out of the senior pastor role, which is another transition that I want to talk to you about, because I think leaders know when to make the move, when to hand things off. And the church was flourishing better than ever, but you you knew that it was time for you to transition into some other areas of leadership and right. transition to church. So what was that that made you know that it was time for you to transition and hand the church to your son, Todd? You know, in college football, it's interesting you're forced to transition because, you know, once you finish your playing years, it's kind of natural for a lot of us to, to then gravitate to the sideline. And the interesting thing is, I discovered as a coach, there was every bit as much gratification and fulfillment as a coach as there was actually being the player on the field. And the more I coached and the more I was able to help others succeed and find their potential realized, it, it became even more gratifying. Mm -hmm. 
And so I, I think that carried over because I, I think when people ask, you know, what's some of the underlying secrets to your success in building this wonderful church called Christ Fellowship, literally a lot of the leadership principles I learned in coaching, I simply carried with me over into this world. James, I remember addressing a graduate class when I was working on my Doctor of Ministries degree. In this class, I turned around to this class, and of course, I'm the oldest guy in the class, and I see all these young faces, and there are about 40 of them in this particular class. I said, how many of you have played a team sport, you know, at some level, at, you know, high school, college, whatever? Not one hand went in the air. I was shocked. Wow. So I made this kind of a bold statement to them. I said, none of you are prepared for ministry. Wow. You, you don't have a clue. If you don't understand the dynamics of team, how to build great teams, how to motivate teams, how to get the right team players in the right positions. You know, Jim Collins uh, years ago wrote a book called Good to Great. We yeah. all read that book. But in that, he, he talks about the secret of the companies that have been able to make the transition from being a good company to a great company is they not only have the right people on the bus, but they got the right people on the right seats in the bus. Yeah. I think coaches understand that, how to build those team dynamics and do that. But I think coaches also understand how important it is in transition because they're constantly dealing with transitions in their teams, in their dynamics, and in their recruiting, and then losing their players after so many years. And now we got to rebuild and we got to start. So all of that really was a great preparation for us, James, I think, in the whole mindset of transition. But getting back to the transition to church, it was very clear to me that you want to make a transition in the same way that we'd run track and we'd run relays. I loved track. I, track was my second favorite sport, really. I played all of them, whatever's in season, I played them. But I actually ran track in high school and in college, I did the field sports, you know, through javelin and through shot put and that kind of stuff. And I was the smallest shot putter ever because I was running back at 220, but I relied on speed and technique. But in track, I, I ran the relays in high school and I loved it because the secret is you want to make the exchange when both runners are running at top speed. Yeah. So we made that decision here at Christ Fellowship that I wanted to make sure Todd was up to full speed, which he was, and he was already running at full speed, and that I was still running at full speed, and that the church was in a position then to make the exchange, seize momentum, and actually create greater momentum as we move forward. So we timed our transition that way. It, it really wasn't about how many more years do I have left in me. That was not the issue. The issue was, is my successor ready? And is the organization structured and ready mm -hmm. to receive the transition? And if they are, then let's communicate it well, let's prepare for it well, and then let's make a seamless transition while we're both running at full speed. And when that happens, then the organization absolutely loses no momentum and you actually create momentum out of that and yeah. you go forward. And that's exactly what happened to us. Yeah, I think great leaders, you can see their leadership in transition because if they leave and everything falls apart, they didn't really lead yeah, that much, yeah, right? And yeah. the fact that you stepped out of your role and transitioned into another role and the church continued to move forward, the organization kept moving forward and it still is. I've always said this, and I think this is so true. I think the, the greatest testimony to anyone's leadership is how well the organization you've been leading does post you. Yeah, It speaks of, were you able to train up other great leaders? Were you able yeah. to empower them and equip them and prepare them for the strength of the organization? And I think when you do that, the focus is not on yourself, but it's, your focus is really upon the mission of the organization you're leading. Yeah. And in the church, we know what that is. You know, yeah. obviously we're here to touch people's lives with the love and message of Jesus yeah. Christ. And I'm so 
proud of our team because transitions are happening all the time. I think when we're living in that kind of an atmosphere where we're willing to embrace change and we're willing to do what's best for the organization, what's best for the church, and we keep that mindset, then we're in a position to always see a healthy, progressive, growing organization that's going to have great impact. That's great. I've heard it said that as a leader, our ceiling becomes the next generation's stage or their floor. Exactly. I think you've done a great job of that. But I think the other thing that's inspired me watching your leadership is that you didn't just step out of one role and kind of fade off into the sunset. I feel like your influence in your leadership has actually accelerated in this season you're in the leadership. Part of that is just your continual dedication you've had to be a lifelong learner. So when did that get instilled in you? What are some things that maybe you would say to our listeners like, hey, here's some things that you can do just to continue to increase your influence and grow yourself as a leader? I I think a couple of things. One is I've always had this hunger and desire to hang with champions. So I always were looking for those people that I felt were ahead of me in their understanding and their experience in their gifts, their abilities. And I wanted to get myself exposed to them whenever I did. James, I've told you a story many times because you and I both are big Ohio State fans. When I was a a young football coach and coaching my team in in Kentucky, I took my staff up to Ohio State when the legendary Woody Hayes is in his final years of coaching. But he was still there, and uh, he graciously received us. And we spent three days at Ohio State during their spring practices. I got to go into the coaches' meetings with Coach Hayes. We went to the practice field with him. One of my big thrills was leaving the practice facility to head over to the stadium for a practice. And Coach Hayes looked at me and said, hey, son, ride with me. I literally got on the team bus, sat beside Coach Hayes, and I was his shadow that whole day. I mean, that's like a highlight for a boy growing up in Ohio with one of your heroes. But I've always made it that practice to seek out champions and find ways that I could connect with them. And one of the ways I found that, like, let's take Dr. John Maxwell. When I discovered John Maxwell in my life back in the early 90s, I said, oh, this is a guy I can learn from and grow from. I want to hang around John. So I found out what John was passionate about. He was passionate about birthing leadership training around the world. So I said, okay, how can we contribute to that? Find out what the people you want to connect with are passionate about and try to find a way to add value to what they value. If you can add value to what they value, it will open a door for you to begin to build a relationship with that person. You're not going to them asking from them. You're actually going to them saying, how can I add value to what you value? And when I did that with John, it just opened the door and then came a relationship that John and I've had now for 20 plus years and a phenomenal relationship and growing from that. But I I think it's always making that practice. You want to position yourself to grow. I had one earned doctorate degree, James, but then I went back, you know, as you know, several years ago, and I decided to get a second doctorate degree. And I, I went to sit down with the academic team at SEU, and I was looking to get a PhD in organizational leadership because I find myself mentoring now a lot of young pastors across the country, and they're trying to grow their churches and grow their organizations. I thought, you know, I want to be better equipped to help them grow because yeah. I, I that's kind of my calling. I want to coach them up and help them. But the committee asked me the strangest question. They said, why do you need this? I mean, you know, you've traveled the world. You're, you're a known leader. You've already got an earned doctorate degree. You know, you're at this stage in your life and trying to be nice to me because at that time I was probably 71 years old. And they're like saying, you know, you're kind of like there. Okay, you don't have to do anything 
someone. I said, no, guys, you don't get it. I said, I'm doing this for two reasons. I said, one is I want to lead by example. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not doing something to intentionally keep growing myself, how can I challenge young leaders to always be growing themselves? And number two, I want to position myself so that I don't miss out on what potential opportunities might be out there for us because I did not prepare properly for it. And as we're developing our own school of leadership here at Christ Fellowship, as we're in partnership with SEU, who knows what God may have for us in the future. So I just wanted to always be preparing myself and growing myself. I find it not only challenging, but it also, it keeps me on edge and keeps me growing. And then one final thing I can say is that I'm really excited about connecting with young leaders because I'm learning so much from young leaders that are in their 30s and in their 40s. And and I go into many situations, they're wanting to ask me all these questions, but I've got my list of questions for them because I'm trying to learn and grow from their perspective. So I think when we keep that kind of an attitude about us, it keeps us fresh, it keeps us relevant, and it keeps us in the game where we can continue to add value. That's so inspiring. Every time I walk by your office and the doors open, I always kind of jump in and on your bookshelf just to see what's on your bookshelf to see, okay, what's he reading that I should be reading? Because it is inspiring when you see people ahead of you that you you know have modeled your life after, they have coached you and so forth, kind of go, okay, if they can do it, then I can do it. And Yeah, but and, James, you know, when it comes to reading, I'm usually asking you, what are you reading? You <laughs> well, know, But it, you know, there's a great question though that leaders ask, yeah. because like when I'm around John, I'll say, John, what what, what have you read lately that, yeah. that I should be reading? I'm around Chris Hodges, another great thinker and pastor and leader of the second largest church in America. Yeah. And I said, Chris, what are you reading lately? I mean, that's one of the good questions I like to ask and they'll tell me and I'll grab it and I'll read it because I want to grow. Yeah. I, I want to learn from it. Okay. So today is George Washington's birthday. And I know that you are a tremendous history buff. You love American history and love telling stories about American history. You've studied many of our founding fathers. And I know that George Washington is a hero of yours. Any principles that you would be able to share with us about influence, about leadership that we could learn from George Washington's life? Oh my goodness. There's so many, James. You know, as soon as you mentioned his name, I go back to the battle that took place in the French Indian Wars in Fort Duquesne. And this young colonel of the Virginia militia, George Washington, was a part of that battle. And and he was caught in this horrible crossfire between the the French and Indians that had set up an ambush against them. And that particular day, he had two horses shot out from underneath of him. When the battle was over, he found three to four bullet holes through his jacket and bullet fragments all in his hair, but not one shot touched him. Wow. He recorded a prayer that he sent home to his mother, recognizing the sovereign power of God over him at that time. He displayed, even as a young, inexperienced soldier, such great courage. And I think that's always a mark of of all great leaders, that there is an element of courage in leadership. Many times in those battles, there were so many of the men and even officers who would abandon their troops out of great fear, but he held his position through the entire battle. And then see thing about that battle of Fort Duquesne. Many years later, when now this young colonel from the Virginia militia, George Washington, is now the president of the country, he visited that scene again and actually had a meeting with with the Indian tribal leaders of that region in Fort Duquesne, which is near Pittsburgh, one of the Indian chiefs came and recognized him and said, I shot at you multiple times that day, and I could not hit you. And I realized there was a divine power protecting you that day. 
And so I told my men, stop shooting that man, you're wasting your bullets. Isn't that something? <laughs> but I mean, here, here's a guy that even those that were trying to kill him recognized there was something about a divine thing about him. But courage is something that I think that we all have to take. He was a risk taker in those early years. I mean, because you got to understand, George Worsting was not really formally trained in, in his education. He was really a homeschool kid. He was not trained to the depth that many of the other early founding fathers were trained. But there was something about his character and his tenacity and his courage as a man that that made him very attractive to others to want to follow him because they felt he was trustworthy. Another amazing leadership trait that really struck me, if you've ever attended Valley Forge, you've ever been there and been through Valley Forge, it's a moving experience. You know, we go into that basically a defeated army of about 11,000 men that led into Valley Forge. And, you know, between two to 3,000 men died and many others deserted during that time. But when you first get in there into Valley Forge, there's no shelter. Now, George Washington was offered a house to stay in, but he refused to stay in the house with his men not having shelter. So he stayed in a tent while his men were in tents. Then they built these little crude log cabins, as you remember. It was only then that George decided that he would move into the house. So I, I see this great leader that was really concerned about his men, and was not going to ask his men to do something that he was not willing to do himself. Wow. We have this classic picture. Matter of fact, I have it in my office of him kneeling in Valley Forge with his horse in prayer. He was a man of strong faith. He was a man that recognized the providential hand of God upon him, and he believed upon this new nation that was being formed in America. So I love the fact that he was that type of a servant leader, that he cared about his men's needs. Most of the people back in George Washington's day, and even today, feel like with leadership came privilege. But with George Washington, leadership came with responsibility. Yeah. And so he was a responsible leader in the way he cared for his men. And one final tribute I'd like to share about George Washington, and it struck me because there is a statue in Valley Forge when you go in there of George Washington, and underneath of it, it says Cincinnatius. If you remember the story of Cincinnatius, who was this Roman centurion who had gone into retirement, the Roman armies were under such siege by those coming from the north, and there was no unity. No one could unite the armies. There was no prominent leader. The Senate of Rome sent for this retired centurion and asked him to come and unite the armies. And they gave him the scepter of power, that of the power of Caesar, so that he could unite. So now here's the most powerful single man in the Roman Empire, a Caesar. He unites all the armies, goes and defeats the armies to the north, comes back and does something unprecedented. He hands the scepter of power back to the Senate. Hmm. He surrendered power. They say that absolute power corrupts. In this case, he had enough wisdom and humility that come back after a great victory. Everyone wanted him to be Caesar, and he passed the scepter of power back to the Senate and went back into retirement. And the reason they called George Washington Cincinnatius is because here after he had won the Revolutionary War, they wanted to make him the king. And he said, no, he did accept to be president. And after two terms of serving as president, he came to the Congress and resigned and submitted the power and authority he had over to Congress. Even the Congress wanted to make him the king wow. because he was such a leader. So he could have had absolute power in the early years, but he submitted that back to the people because he had a vision 
of how the government should be run of the people and for the people and by the people. And instead of seizing power, he surrendered power. And that tells you of the character of this man. And I, I think his love for his troops showed his compassion for the people. And of course, his tactical skills and being able to mobilize this ragtag army and defeat the greatest army in the world shows you the competence of this man. And I think that those are still the three main characteristics we look for every leader. We're looking for that character of a man that we can absolute trust. And George Washington was trustworthy in everything he had, including being trusted with the welfare of the nation. We look for the compassion in our leaders, and he had that compassion in the way he loved his men. Hmm. And the way he truly tried to model servant leadership, which was not being modeled in that generation, because leaders would weld their absolute power over you, but not not George Washington. And of course, he demonstrated his competence as a leader. It was in the effect that he actually was able to lead the armies to victory and lead our nation and set the establishment of our nation to be the greatest nation on the world. So you've, you've got those three elements. I just finished the book by Pat Williams called Character Carved in Stone, where he takes the 12 virtues that are pillars of West Point Military Academy. And those things that you just shared are some of the 12 virtues that are part of that college, but character, compassion, competency, that servanthood peace. And I think all of those values sometimes are missing today in leadership. And I think leaders who kind of stand above and their influence remains are people who demonstrate that. I've seen that in your life and seen that in other leaders' lives. And I think for younger leaders who may be listening to the show, that's really important thing is that that, that courage, the risk-taking, the servanthood, the the compassion, all those things are really powerful. Well, you know, the old adage is, and we always say this taught to us in football, and, and I saw this model my grandfather, but you know, you follow leaders who lead by example. You know, they're not going to ask you to go somewhere or do something they're not willing to go and do themselves. And they're going to model that. And with that, that builds trust. And the first question I think we ask, because we live in a culture today that that's so skeptical, Mm-hmm. And so many people have been betrayed in many ways in their lives. We ask that question, can I trust that person? Yeah. You know, do they really have the character that I can trust? And I think that's one of our number one responsibilities as leaders is to validate that, that they can trust us by being trustworthy yeah. in, in all that we do. And I think that that's important. And in demonstrating acts that we're adding value to people, that demonstrates our compassion for people, that we're actually there as a value adder. And then I think that the proof in what we're able to do and achieve and, and help others fulfill their potential and empowering them and helping them to grow, that really is demonstrating the competence of our yeah. leadership. That's so good. This has been fantastic. So we like to end each interview with some fun questions just okay. to get to know our guests a little bit. So are you good with answering a series of this or that questions? Let's try it. Seeing that your passion for football, we're going to make these all about football. So if you had the choice, would you choose a sideline pass for a regular season football game? game or a nosebleed ticket for the Super Bowl? Sideline pass regular game. Is there a reason why you just like being in the action? I want to be right in the action. I've had those sideline passes at Ohio State for the Michigan game several times. Yeah, There's one of these days like I it. want to go with you. but I've had sideline passes for the pro games. It's just nothing like, nothing like being on the sideline. So your favorite football snack, nachos or wings? Probably the right wings that are not too saucy. <laughs> I got you there. Okay, would you rather coach the 1972 perfect season Miami Dolphins or any team that Tom Brady is your quarterback? 
dolphins. Really? Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, they, how many people get to go be a part of an experience that's undefeated like the dolphins? Well, were? nobody that's, has, right? That's right, except Shula. You know, I, don't, <laughs> I wouldn't have mind being on his staff during that time. Of course, Brady's phenomenal. He, he is the GOAT. Yeah, he is the GOAT. Okay, here's a little bit more complicated. You score a touchdown with seconds left. You're down by one. Do you kick the extra point and play for overtime or go for two in the win? It's totally dependent, James, upon who I'm playing and where I feel that my momentum is at that time. So that would that question is very difficult. But I was pretty much a risk taker a lot of times, so I might have gone for two. Okay, last one. Best coach of all time, Vince Lombardi or Bill Belichick? See, I'm old school. I'm, I'm old school. <laughs> I love Vince. You know, I love Vince so much. But you cannot discount Bill Belichick. I mean, the proof is in the wins that the guy has. I mean, Lombardi was this bigger-than-life personality, and, and Belichick, you wouldn't know him if you walked in the room. Yeah. But the guy is brilliant. I mean— I would have well, to he's say, had a pretty good quarterback for the last 20 years, too. He has, too. I would have to say Belichick. Okay, that's good. So, Coach, thanks for being on the podcast, and thank you for your influence in my life and Lisa's life. We totally appreciate you. We are marked by your leadership in our life, and this has been a total privilege having you on the podcast today. It's been my honor to be with you and Lisa. God bless you guys. Yeah, we'll do it again sometime in the future. Oh, my goodness. That is so good. Thank you, Pastor Tom. James, we have been blessed to be under the leadership and influence of Coach for more than 20 years. He has made such a huge impact on our lives, and for listeners who were just introduced to him for the first time, you can see why he has such an influence around the world. And James, he has had a couple of face mask moments with you in your leadership that we may want to share sometime in the future. Yeah, he really has. And I'm the leader I am today because of his investment in my life. He's really one of a kind and such a great leader, such a great mentor, and just somebody that you just want in your life. So we're so thankful for Pastor Tom. I would encourage everyone to check out Pastor Tom's books. I put the links to all of them in the show notes. Coach is not super active on social media, but if you'd want to follow him, you can find him on Instagram at Coach Tom Mullins. It's so funny that he's not very active on there, which makes complete sense with his personality. He does not have time for that. That's true. That's right. So next week, we're going to talk about all things Enneagram. Remember, if you have any questions you want answered, you can direct message us on Instagram at Live Lead Last Podcast or send us a message on Facebook at Live Lead Last Podcast. As we wrap up, we want to remind you that you can find the show notes to this and every show at www.liveleadlast.com. And you can text the word LIVE, L-I-V-E, to the number 22454 to have new episodes, show notes, bonus content, and exclusive offers delivered directly to your email inbox each week. We also want to invite you to join our Facebook group at facebook.com backslash groups backslash live lead last and now we have a youtube channel where you can listen to podcast episodes as well so go check that out if you found this episode helpful why not share it with a friend or family member that could benefit from it as well thanks again for joining us on this episode we encourage you to lead your life and leverage your influence today in a way that leaves the legacy you want for tomorrow until next week bye-bye